but I'm glad because uh, I'm going to get this underway. We're eating in my preaching part here. I wanted to keep it short this morning um, for good reason um, because today is the last day we're going to be talking about commandment number 10. We're going to find a brand new one next week. I think we're going to call it number 9. But over the last four weeks, actually, we've talked about the 10th commandment. We've discussed its origins, its meanings, its impact on society, and its subtle hold on the most devout of Christians. We've looked at what it is, we've looked at what it isn't. Last week, Brendan, Brendan, did a magnificent job. Give, come on, give him a hand. And he spoke about some of the components of covetous thinking and behaviour and how to recognise and defend ourselves against them. We learned that money can buy medicine, but it can't buy health. We learned that it can buy food, but not an appetite. And most importantly, it can buy a crucifix, but it can't buy a saviour. And we learned that fear feeds covetousness, and that to combat covetousness, we need to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Don't you like things that rhyme like that? Attitude of gratitude. It's your attitude, not your altitude. Not, not your... Um, I should plan these before I say them. Um, we we learnt that... Yeah, he, I love that saying that he, he said, uh, a man who had no shoes complained until he met a man who had no feet. And so this morning, I want to do the impossible. Yep. Well, God's asked me to represent him in the impossible this morning. And so I want to distill all that we have discussed into a key that we can take home and apply to our lives right now. Who thinks that's a good idea? Who's not quite so sure? Because to quote the words of the super supercomputer Deep Thought, when it was asked to deliver the answer to life, the universe and everything, his first comment was, I'm not going to like it. You see, the first problem that we have here is that statements that are given in the negative are actually warnings, not instructions. But unfortunately, we treat them as instructions and try to fulfill them. Let's look at the commandment itself, Exodus 20:17. What does it say? You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. How do you not covet? I want you to go out to all the world and not covet. How do you do that? How do you not do something? As parents, we learn the best way to train children is not to constantly point out the negative consequences of bad behaviour, to actually mention the good consequences or the positive consequences of good behaviour. If you yell at a child, don't walk on that retaining wall because you'll fall off, because of the way all our brains work, not just children, what the brain hears is fall off. And has anybody ever yelled that warning only to see the child immediately fall off the wall? Because that's the way our brain, they hear instructions. Don't walk on the retaining wall is redundant. They are walking on the retaining wall. So they're going to ignore that. 
because you will fall off. They see where they are, they hear them tell you the consequences of their actions, and they do it. Isn't it wonderful? Because the trouble is, I mean, what do you say as a parent? I told you so. And the trouble is, you did. Exactly. I can still remember a horrifying incident when, from my childhood when I was sitting in the back seat of the car with a dozen eggs in, in the cardboard carton. And we drove into the garage at home and I got out and my mother said, don't drop these eggs. And my response was, of course I'm not going to drop them. Do you think I'm stupid? Got out of the car, tripped over my feet and smashed them all on the ground. And she looked at me like, I warned you. And, the, and I felt so, in, I mean, just stupid. I'm not stupid. And there I was, stupid. Because my brain had conspired with my body to trip me up because if she said, be careful with those eggs, carry them gently to the kitchen, I could have done that. But all too often, and this com commandment, if we can get it up again, we take that as an instruction. Go out into the world and don't cover it. It's not. It's actually a warning. It says you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not. Because there will be consequences. It's not a, an instruction. Go out go and do that. It's a warning that says don't do these things because you'll find that life turns out really badly if you do. But then it leaves us to discover, well, okay, what do we do? There's got to be something that we can actually do about that. The second problem, of course, it puts us on the defensive because we, so we see what's wrong and then we know how to put up defensive walls to protect ourselves against that. We know that we shouldn't cover it. So we build a big fence between our place and the neighbour's place so that we can't see it. I'm not going to cover anything of my neighbours because I can't see it. Guess what happens? You go and buy a ladder. I'm just going to prune the roses. And you climb up and you peer over the fence just, just to see, just to see what the neighbour's doing. You're not, you're not covering. You just, wow. Really? And you can't, you can't help, but because who knows that I don't believe God called us to live a defensive life. He, in John 10.10, 10, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Does that sound like a life on the defensive? Does that sound like a life hidden behind walls that are protecting us from seeing things that we think we shouldn't? No. Romans 8.37 tells me that God has not designed us to live on the back foot, just managing to defend ourselves against the world, but as proactive front foot believers. What does it say, Romans 8.37? No. Instant rebuttal. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. What is overwhelming victory? Is that carrying behind a fence saying, I think I'm safe. I think I'm safe. Nothing's going to get me. I'm overwhelmingly victorious. Don't think so. It means being able to stride out into the world unafraid of whatever the world can throw at us because we are victorious. In fact, we're more than conquerors battle's been fought. We just have to walk around and stand on the victims of the vanquished. You've seen those photos. Victor 
So there's got to be something that we can do rather than not do. Something that is the antithesis of covetousness, that has the power to defeat it, not just hold it at bay. And there is. Perhaps the best antidote for coveting is to be generous with what Instead of being concerned to amass things, we should be concerned about giving them away. I saw a great quote on Pinterest the other day. Strangely enough, from Shakespeare, and it wasn't on George's Pinterest, even though I noticed he was locked in on my iPad. It's a quote actually from Shakespeare. And it says, your goal in life is to find your gift. Your purpose in life is to give it away. Most of us focus on the first bit. We think goals are important, so we, we fixate on finding our gift, finding our place in the world, finding the, our skills, finding where we fit, finding... And what does that sound? It's finding where I fit. It's all about me. But God implies here, well, Shakespeare implied, that it's not actually that hard to find your gift. Just ask somebody. Other people know your gift's better than you are. You just don't like it. But they know, and that isn't the gift you wanted. People say, you're really good at that, and you think, I don't want to be really good at that. I want to be really good at this, and so I'm going to work towards this, because this is my gift. It's not. What they said was your gift is your gift, and just work at that. And once you've found it, guess what? The rest of your life needs to be spent giving it away. Because what's giving it away, it's about others. And so, Jesus talks a great deal about giving. You notice that? Why? Because giving is the antidote to materialism and the cure for covetousness. I told you you weren't going to like it. Acts 20.35 says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If we want to escape the curse of covetousness, we can't run away from it. We have to hit it head on with what's going to defeat it. And if we're not worried about getting things, we need to be focused on giving Now, let me ask you something. Who in their budget has got money put aside for holiday? Or, or for something special? You know, you've, got, you've got a column that you're saving for something. You're trying to put something away as well as paying all the bills. Because that's, who knows you need that sort of thing. You really do. But very few people budget or have a column things to give other people. Things I do not want that are really good that I want somebody else to have. Because that, who, that's, how can you have a budget where you're giving stuff away? Because you work out how much you can actually live on and spend and get by. If you're giving stuff away, that reduces your budget, doesn't it? No, no, that needs to be part of our budget. Because 
covetousness is a state of mind. The opposite of a covetous state of mind is a generous state of mind. And we have to plan to be generous. Lots of us think that generous, generosity is one of these spontaneous things. I was just walking along and I saw this guy and spontaneously I felt to give him a dollar. I felt so good afterwards. Had five dollars to change. Generosity is a lifestyle and a mindset that requires planning. If we don't want to be covetous, which is, I mean, we talked over the last three weeks about how natural it is in society, how consumerism is just so, so much part of our lives that we, that we accept it as normal. Wanting new things. Seen the new Telstra ad. You can get a new phone after a year. You don't have to wait two years anymore. And you know what? Two years suddenly, da-da-da, they're all dancing, cheering. You don't need a freaking phone after a year. Even two years. You do after two years. Pray for you afterwards. I mean, I, th I mentioned the other day the whole idea of passing things down through generations. It used to be that when you got married, your mother would open a box which had clothing or, or jewellery or things that had belonged to your grandparents or even your great-grandparents and they were handed down to you as valuable items that you kept because they showed that you understood the, the sacrifice of previous generations and you saw the importance of family and, and generational... Can you imagine somebody opening a box and handing to you your great-grandfather's iPad for you to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I think he wants to give that away. He's feeling generous. He's got new swap. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to us. You sort of think, your great-grandfather's iPad wouldn't even work in today's economy. I mean, I used to have... 1982... I bought my first computer, which was an IBM PC, which had two floppy disk drives. There were no hard drives in those days. And each floppy held 360 kilobytes of information. You would stick Microsoft Word on the top one and your data disk in the other one. And something like 500 Word documents wouldn't even fill 360 kilobytes. 360 kilobytes is 0.3 of a megabyte. My first hard drive was about that big. It was 10 meg. You think we've got thumb drives that hold 32 gig that are the size of your thumbnail these days. We have regular hard drives which are 4 terabytes in size. Back when I got... You couldn't... So the idea of me passing on my IBM PC, which ran at 4.77 megahertz, by the way, yeah, the, the answer would be, thanks, but no thanks. Now, you sort of think, well, sure, but that's natural, because we've progressed. But how much of that progression was actually necessary, and how much is cosmetic? How much are we, more are we actually getting done, because we've got little machines that, that we can carry around without that weigh virtually nothing, that can connect everywhere? And yeah, it's great. Don't get me wrong, I love it. But... The necessity in our minds is caused by our culture, 
not because these things are actually really necessary. I mean, people go walking today for exercise, because otherwise we'd be unfit. Think of the days when to get somewhere, to visit somewhere, to get to work, you had to walk. You started to walk to work at four o'clock in the morning, because it took you four hours to walk. We can't imagine that. It's bad enough having to drive 20, min 20 minutes from Brickwood down the freeway. So we need to evaluate our priorities. If, actually, if you want to have fun with consumerism, there's a program on the ABC called The Checkout, which is actually done by two guys who were in the chaser's war on everything. And it's a tongue-in-cheek look at consumer products. Um, and basically shows how we are being fooled by advertising. Um, but they do it in a hilarious way. Um, it's quite good. There's about four episodes. If you want to look at them on iView, on your iPad or, or iPhone, if you feel that's useful, if you have that sort of technology, because you can't look at it on my old iView PC. Um, but yeah, it, it just highlights how tied in we are to what we're told on television, social media, things like that. How it's changes how we feel about generosity. Did you know that ever since the lottery's been introduced, theoretically the, the profits go towards our hospitals uh, in Australia, but charity giving has gone down because people are more concerned about winning money than they are about giving money. Great Christian writer C.S. Lewis. Who's heard of C.S. Lewis? Who knows what he wrote? Yeah, the Narnia series is famous ones, the screw tape letters and things like that. He said that Bible charity should be more than just giving away that which we can afford to do without. Luke 12.15 says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Let me suggest a few questions to ask yourself. Because this is a great theory. Commandment number 10 knocked on the head by a change of attitude from covetousness to generosity. Great message. You can go home and sleep on it, mull over it. Unless you do something. Unless you not. This requires action. You know, we talk about action in our worship. Open up your heart, lift your hands, praise God. Change your mind. Let me ask you something. Have you ever said, no matter how poor I am, no matter how bad things get, I will never buy a single ply toilet? Or, I will never buy Coles brand food. Or, I will never buy an Australian made car. Or possibly a second hand car. Or, Target clothing. I bet you every single person here has thought that things get really bad, and sometimes when things get really bad, there are certain things you just will not compromise on because they're important to you. And I bet you they're all things and not people. We've all done it. I can remember doing budget counselling for a guy who was in our church who was on the dole, living alone, couldn't pay his rent, and couldn't buy food. And so 
I went with him to the supermarket and bought him some food, took it home, worked out how much it cost, worked out how much his budget was, and I was horrified. Because when we worked it out, we had money left over. And I said, what's the problem? He had a five-pack-a-day smoking habit that was costing him absolutely He was feeding that instead of paying his rent and buying food because it was something he would not let go. Now, I know that's slightly different. It's an addiction. It's hard to do. I'm not going to go at people who smoke. But we all have addiction-like thoughts in our head about what we are not prepared to do if our circumstances change. You know what that's called? That's called pressure thinking. Because if we don't live our life by priority, we'll live our life by pressure. People will pressure us into doing things if we do not have our priorities set. A good example of this is people who come to your door and ask for donations. Now, Dickie's had to beat me severely about this because I'm a soft touch. Somebody comes to the door, it's like, yeah, we've got many people. Vicky said, no, we have to prioritise. You can't just, everybody who comes to the door, give you dribs and grabs. We've worked out five charities that we give to. Anybody else who comes to the door gets turned away. Just to make my heart bleed. Now I can do it without even blinking. Not because I'm cool, but because I'm, Vicky's made me live by priorities. I'd still give, I mean, and it's the same on the phone. And even with the church, we get every week, we get people ringing us up, asking for money. And so we've, had to, we've made a list. If you're not on the list, thank you very much, but no, we're not interested. If you are on the list, believe me, if they're, if they're on the list, they know it, and they are happy. Apart from saving money for Fiji, we, we are involved in children's charities here in South Australia, one of which is the Kura Barclay Centre which is a um, publicly funded charity. They get a certain amount of money from the government, but a lot of their treatments are only um, achievable by public donation. Uh, there's a little girl called Lexi at the moment who has just had a cochlear implant. She heard for the first time three weeks ago. And we had nothing to do with that. We didn't give any money. The government paid for that. But to learn to hear and use the cochlear implant takes... 45 lessons of an hour and a half each with a specialist that cost $150 a lesson. Last week, we paid for six of those lessons. Because the government doesn't support them. Now, the guy who runs it, a guy called Eden Barnett, rings up and I can hear the fear in his voice every time he rings he's afraid that I'm going to say no. Because they are desperate for this sort of funding. Now we don't have a bottomless missions board, unfortunately. Um, I think last year, over six months, we paid for a series of 20, um, another $70,000. But to hear the joy in his, his voice, when I say, amazing. But it's priorities. That's the point I'm making. It's not, not, not um, 
you've got to have priority. Think about it. Is there anything that you would struggle to give up to save your closest relationship? In other words, is there anybody you have a conflict with that you love, you like, you get on with, but there's just this one thing. They want you to sell your computer. They want you to get rid of your car, buy a cheaper one. They want you to sell your guitar, your drum kit. They don't like your obsession with uh, collecting Deep, Deep Space Nine DVD. I don't approve either. Boring show. Star Trek, different now. But if you look, there are always things that we set things above people. We set things above relationships. And it's that whole thing that, I agree, single-ply toilet paper can be very messy. requires a lot of folding. But if we've got that sort of mindset where we feel that we have a, a right for a basic minimum of things, then we, we cover this. I don't care how you put it. We are letting things get in the way of what we do. Even stupid things. I did it this morning, going into traffic. I caught myself and I thought, what the... Why did my brain work like that? I came to the end of Bakewell Road and I was about to turn left onto Paynham Road. And two cars were coming in the right-hand lane, so the left-hand lane was free and I could move out there. Um, but the first car was exactly the same as my car. It was a green Mazda 2. And I let him go past. Even though he wasn't in... He wasn't in I could have gone straight away, but for some reason I let him go past and followed him because I didn't want to be in front. I suddenly thought, what the? Why am I thinking? And, it, and it's just a, a weird, I just didn't want a, a guy in the same car as me looking at my car. And I'm thinking, why did I even think that? Where did that even come from? That just popped in. And, I, and I'm looking at myself, watching this car go past, thinking I'll get in front of this guy. Why didn't I do that with this car? I had to analyse it. I thought, somewhere deep in the recesses of your mind without it even being a conscious thought you have allowed the opinion of a stranger driving a car you, that you don't know somebody you've never met will never meet and somehow they've become important in the fact that you're turning left ten seconds, two seconds later than you would have normally and I, there are thousands of things in our lives that we do automatically because of prejudices and, and just fears and stuff that we, we can't even recognise but the ones we do recognise, we need to get rid of. We need to change our priorities. And we need to do things in a different way. We need to think, give, uptake. We need to think, do I need this? No. Do I want it? Yes. Could I do without it? Yes. Is there somebody who could do with it that would be really amazed if they got it? Can this person do something in return for me? No. Does the person give it? Are they going to be grateful? Who cares? Might they smash it? Yes. Doesn't matter. The whole idea of generosity and giving is when it, when it leaves your hand, doesn't matter what happens to it. I mean, if you think about it, you could get run over by a semi in the post. The postman drops it, round, flattened. Does that mean you shouldn't have done it? No, it's just, just an accident. 
give somebody an iPad, they give it to their kid, they throw it in the river. I think, what a waste. I gave them something that was, it was it cost me $1,000 to do that. And look what, it doesn't matter. It's not about the, the gift. It's not the thing. It's your heart. Are you coveting it? Is it, is it like, oh, I could have done with that? Change your attitude. Change your priority. If you want to change your life by living in a way that covetousness no longer has a hold on you, then I want you to act. You've actually got to do something about it. You actually have to confront the things that are holding your life back, changing your thinking patterns, and get rid of them. First thing I want you to do, I want you to look inside yourself just for a moment. And if any time over the last four weeks you've seen covetousness exposed in your life, I want you to acknowledge it. Not to me, not to anybody else, but to yourself. I don't want to know. I know everybody's hand to go up. It's not me you need to admit it to, it's you. You are a dirty, stinking cover. We want to change that, don't we? Right. We need to act. First, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority over your life and given your heart to Him, believing that He has a life plan for you, that is better than the one you have, and guess what? You're coveting something. Because the only reason I can think of for not making Jesus Christ the ultimate authority in your life is that you believe that if you do that, you're going to miss out on something. Fair enough? Yet God promises life and life abundantly. But somehow, you see, we hold on to our heart. I don't want to give it to God. Mine. I want to do what I want with it. The only reason we would ever do that is that we believe that if we give it to God, He's not going to do what we want. His plan for us isn't as good as the one we've got. And so we're, we're coveting our own existence because we don't believe that God wants better for us, has better for us, believes for more for us. Any of that stuff. So I'll just everybody close their eyes. I challenge you this morning, if that's you, or nobody's looking around, everybody's eyes are closed. You want to make a decision to say, okay, I'm going to let my heart go. I'm going to give this following God thing my whole attention. And I'm going to declare this morning that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. With every eyes closed, I want you to pop up your hand so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can put that down again. We can pray for God to come into your heart. Is there anybody at all this morning who wants to make that step? Okay, secondly, you can open your eyes. If you're prepared to change your thinking this morning, you want to have a front foot kind of life instead of always being on the defensive when it comes to sin. If you want to be an antidote against covetousness rather than just struggling, not fall prey to it, 
I want you to acknowledge it before God. Come up on this altar. Great. I want you to stand. See, being a front foot Christian isn't a solitary operation. It's not a question of being out in front of the pack because you're on the front foot and everybody else is on the back foot. It's actually about marching in step with the people around you. So if that's you this morning, I want us to pray together. If I want you to take a stand, I want you to step forward onto this altar, clear away all of this. Because this requires, as I was talking earlier, a decision. It requires a physical decision. It requires you to take your heart in your hands and come and step up on this altar and say, okay, there needs to be a change. I'm prepared to acknowledge that. Move on it. If you're prepared to make that change this morning, I encourage you just to come out and stand here. We're going to pray. Because we can't do it alone. We need God's help in this. scripture that says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Notice it doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God. It says seek first the kingdom of God which means there's got to be a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And we need to prioritize those things. We need to actually set a plan in motion Ten Commandments sound like a good place to me to start making priorities. We've started at number ten. Covetousness. Bit of a soft sell. Doesn't hit anybody. Maybe dies. Pretty harmless, really. But I think we've discovered that it might appear harmless on the surface, but it is actually a subtle poison in our own souls. I reckon today's culture so to turn that around it's a question of turning around our heart it's turning around our culture it's not buying in to what happens around us it actually means being slightly different thinking differently and that doesn't mean to go around saying well I'm not watching television I'm not watching ads you're all sinners you're caught up by that it's not it's not about telling other people off because they're idiots you're one of them you're an idiot too but how refreshing would it be for people to suddenly see other people who aren't buying in to the consumerism thing not by telling people off but by showing that they're willing to give rather than get that they're going to give their time they're going to they're give unexpected gifts 
that they don't care what they've got. They, they care about giving what they have for other people. It doesn't matter whether they deserve it or not. We're there to change mindsets by showing that a change in mindset works. Not by telling other people that they're naughty because they don't have the same mindset. They need to see the proof. That's hard. We need God. So I'm on front row, link hands. I want the row behind them to actually put one hand on the shoulder of the person in front. The row behind them as well. If you've got a spare hand, you can put it on the person next to you. Perhaps if we if you put your left hand on the person in front and then your right hand on the person next to you, that means that yeah, it's all even. You see, we need to do this together. We need to pledge before God. We need to make Him a promise, which is dangerous. Prepared to do that? Okay, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I promise right now that my heart is open to change. Pour your spirit into me. Give me a fresh heart of generosity and remove the seed of covetousness. I am born anew with a new mind and a new heart towards others. I thank you, God, that my generosity is reflected a hundredfold in yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've spoken the words. You've taken the action. You've just got to go home and fulfill your God. Remember, your goal is to find your gift. Your purpose is to give it away. We need to be a giving away society. We need to give be a giving away culture. Not just on the odd occasion. It needs to be all the time. There need to be fights among you. Oh, I love that advert for the credit union zip card. I'll pay, I'll pay, I'll pay. No. Oh, look! That needs to be, we, we need to have fights to see who pays. Not fights to avoid paying, but fights to be generous. Not so that you overspend your credit card, because what you've done is you've planned for the fact that you have $50 that you can be generous with at this particular moment. And your goal, your purpose is to find out how you're going to use that with someone. Or you've, you've, you're with Telstra. You've got a new phone after a year. What do you do with your old one? Give it to somebody who doesn't have a phone. In fact, phone, give them the new one. Ooh, yeah. Hey, what means more to you, people or things? Come on, it's just a phone. Just supposedly makes telephone calls. Has anyone tried one for that lately? Hey. You're an awesome bunch of people. Hang around for coffee and cake after the service. Don't forget to connect groups tomorrow night. And if you still need prayer for anything, uh, I think Mike and Jess are going to be up here for the next 10 minutes and they would love to pray with you. They will pray for prosperity. They will cast out demons. They will do anything you want. So 
whatever you need. Have an awesome week.